Let's turn in our Bibles to First John. First John and chapter two. First John chapter two. And we will read together from verse 1 down to verse 11. Verse 1 down to verse 11. The Bible says there, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment. That you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. Whoever says... He is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Well, friends, we continue in our series of messages in 1 John, dealing with the subject of assurance of salvation. And the main point that we are seeking to put together there is the fact that God does not want us either to continue in doubt when we are already true Christians, or to continue thinking we are Christians, when in actual fact we are not. God wants us to come to a biblical assurance of eternal salvation. And so, through this epistle, the first epistle that John wrote, again and again, he is giving us tests that enable us to see whether we are in the faith or not. We saw that 
as we were going through First John and chapter 1. The last time we were looking together at this passage, we saw how obedience in chapter 2, obedience is a proof of our salvation. When the word of God is preached, a true child of God says, there is my duty, I better go ahead and do it. A person who is not a true child of God begins to murmur and argue on the inside. And basically says, well, that's your opinion, that's what you want, but I'm still going to live my life the way I want to live my life. And if that's the way you deal with the Word of God, then clearly what we are being told here is that you are not a Christian, you are not a child of God, and if you are to die in that state, you would end up in hell. We went on to see that, in fact, as you are continuing a life of obedience, Something is happening inside you. And it is the fact that you are growing in God's love. The phrase that is used here in the passage before us is that in you, truly, the love of God is perfected. Now the perfection there is certainly not in terms of quantity, None of us can reach the levels of God's love. Neither is it in terms of quality. None of us in this life can have God's love in terms of the quality of that love perfected within us. We will always have some level of mixture. However, it is in terms of having that kind of love that God has. That kind of love is indeed perfected in us and all we are doing is living out something of that love day by day. Now, John basically continues as we enter verse 7 in talking about this kind of love, the the God kind of love. And what he is telling us is basically two aspects of this. First of all, it is the fact that it is a command. That we are commanded to love. And secondly, it is the fact that it is a test of salvation. Now, the second part shouldn't surprise us because the whole epistle is about testing our salvation, finding out whether we are truly converted or not. So let's look at verse 7 down to verse 11, seeing something of these two aspects. Love is, first of all, something that God commands of us. In other words, when dealing with the subject of love, we must not begin, first of all, with our own feelings. We must not say to ourselves, do I feel affectionate? Do I feel like hugging this person? Do I feel like giving this person money or whatever else it might be that is a 
a response to their needs. That's not where we must begin. We must begin with the question, what does God want me to do? What is God demanding of my life? And therefore, if you are not responding to people in terms of loving them, then you are sinning because it is a commandment of God. And hence, when John picks it up here, he begins by telling us very clearly that what he is about to say or what he's dealing with is nothing new. It is something that God has demanded all the time. This is the way he puts it in verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. In other words, the commandment to love has always been part of true religion. It is not something that is only true of the Christian faith. It is that which had been true even in Judaism covering the whole of the Old Testament. So for instance, when Jesus was challenged about the greatest commandment, he said this, that the greatest commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. You shall love. You are obligated to love. You obey by loving God. That was clearly Leviticus 19, rather Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5 he was quoting. And then he quickly said that the second greatest commandment is like unto the first. And it is this, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Which is now Leviticus 19 and verse 18. Again, love. The way in which you would have others treat you is the way in which you should be treating other people. And it's not about feelings at that point. It is in obedience to Almighty God. Therefore, when you think backwards and say, what was the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the Garden of Eden? Well, you will say they ate the forbidden fruit, which is correct. But it is this. They failed to love the Lord their God with all their hearts, minds, souls, and strength. Ultimately, that was the failure. Because if they had done so, they would not have accepted any offer that was being made, either by the serpent or by looking at the goodness that was there in that fruit, or on Adam's part when Eve gave him to eat of the forbidden fruit. 
ultimately it was a failure to love that brought about the fall. What about Cain? When he murdered his brother Abel. Basically Abel had offered the sacrifice that God accepted. Cain had offered a sacrifice that God did not accept. And instead of him simply acknowledging that I felt my brother has done something which is acceptable, jealousy, envy caused him to murder his brother. Again, what was the problem there? It was a failure to love his brother. That's what it was all about. Because when you love your brother, you go and you congratulate him. You say, well done. This is what you have achieved. I did not achieve it. You have. And praise God for his blessing upon your life. That is love. But that's not what he did. Instead, he murdered his brother. So the commandment of God, the commandment to love, goes right to the root, the beginning of human existence. Where there is true religion, there is a heart that loves, a heart that seeks to do good to that other person at my own expense. Yet, as John goes on to say, Whereas this commandment is not new, there is some aspect of it that is new. Verse 8. Verse 8. He says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Or as the New International Version puts it, which is sin in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. When referring to it as a new commandment and yet an old one, it may sound like a contradiction. But this is the best way to understand what is being said here. The, the commandment itself is new. But what has happened in the Christian faith is that it has been given a new lease of life. In other words, those of us who are Christians have a capacity to show this love which was not there in the beginning. Hence, he's saying it is true in him being in God or even more precisely in the Lord Jesus Christ as he was here on earth walking among us that love was clearly seen or shown in him but not only in him but also in you and who are you? you who are regenerate you who are true believers. You who have experienced the salvation of God. This commandment finds a new lease of life in you. 
It, 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 it finds a new expression in you. There is an ability that you have that was not there before. And that's why I love the way in which John puts it when he says, The darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. There's a new lease of life. There's a new power that has been released. And it is emanating like rays of light out of your being. It's radiating out of you. It is already shining. Therefore, where others fell, where non-Christians fell, true believers live out a life that others completely fail. Look at the way in which Jesus puts it in uh, John and chapter 13. In our Lord's Supper series, we've already looked at this passage. John 13. And I want you to notice there the, the phrase new commandment again being used. John 13. And verse 34. A new commandment, this is Jesus speaking, I give to you. That you love one another. Notice, the moment he speaks about one another, he's talking about the family of God. The church of Jesus Christ. So there is a special love he's expecting us to exhibit within our own circles. And then he says there, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So, two other aspects are clean as seen there of this new commandment. The first is that it is a, a love that is going to be enjoyed among the people who profess His name. They've been given a new lease of life. They've been given a new capacity to live an otherwise impossible life and they are going to enjoy that life among them. And the second aspect we see here is the new standard. Not simply love your neighbor as you love yourself, but now love your neighbor as Christ has loved you. Wow! You now bring in even to the point of dying for others. That's the way Jesus has loved us. He's loved us to the point of death. And he is saying, this is what I am expecting of you. It's a new commandment. A new commandment in terms of new life. A new commandment in terms of a, a new sphere within the body of Christ. A new commandment in terms of a new standard. The standard of Jesus. The standard of Him loving to the point of death. 
Now friends, remember, it's a commandment. The question we should be asking ourselves is this. Am I loving like that? Am I? Is that the way my own love is? And that's what leads us into the second aspect of this love. And it is this. It is a litmus test of salvation. Do you want to know whether you are a Christian or not today? A Christian in the biblical sense of the word. It's quite simple. Here is the further test. If we fail to have a special love, this capacity to love those who profess to be Christians, who belong to the family of God, then it is a sure sign that we are not yet Christians. If we are not interested in them, if we do not care for them, if even when we are within the Christian church, all we think about is me, myself, and I, what I will get out of this, rather than interest in their lives, if I do not give and do not sacrifice for them, then the greatest possibility is this. I've never become a child of God. Never. This is what John goes on to tell us, isn't it? In verse 9, and then for now we'll skip verse 10 and then read verse 11 as well. Listen to this. Whoever says he is in the light, this is a phrase meaning I'm claiming to be a Christian. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. And walks in the darkness. And does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now clearly the phrase brother there must be referring to somebody who is within the, the family of God. The body of Christ. He's a brother because you, you, you belong. To the same family. So a brother because you, you have got dealings with him. Invariably, when you belong to the same family, you, you're going to have dealings with one another. Let me go further. When the Bible uses the word whoever hates his brother, it's more than simply the fact that you belong to the same church. It's the fact that that person has wronged you. And there are many ways in which we wrong one another. In, in, in the family of God. Because we invariably we will step on one another's toes. Invariably. Three examples that I have here. 
One of them is that of gossip and slander. Invariably, when you belong to the same church, there's going to be talk about you behind your back. Just have to buy a new car. And unfortunately, somebody will come and tell you that that's what somebody said in the car park. Just have to change dresses a few times. They'll talk about you. They will be gossip. And it will come back to you. That you are worldly, you are carnal, you are this, you are that, you are the other, and word gets back to you. And sometimes it's more than just gossip. It's slander. It's individuals who for some reason feel it is their duty to drag your name in the mud. And you soon get to know who they are. The sins of the mouth are the most common sins. Because we soon forget what we said. We get on. But the one about whom we said it, once it gets back to their ears, it's a dagger that has gone into their back. They don't forget. And you soon discover it in a member's meeting. When you say you want black curtains, they're very quick to raise their hands and say, no, white. And then you say, oh, yeah, come to think of it, I meant white. Uh, no, no, I meant black. <laughs> Clearly, something has gone wrong. I have another example, and it's that of money. We often borrow one another's money in the context of the church. And sadly, some people don't pay back. And as a result, when you go through that door, they go out through this door. And just while you're looking for them, the car quickly zooms out of the gate. With your money. You call them, they never answer. Before you know it, they even block your number altogether. It's a brother in the Lord. As far as you're concerned, you're beginning to doubt their Christianity altogether. We defraud one another. In the church, yes! And then there's the usual thing that happens in a church like this, full of young people, and that is, here you are, the brother in the Lord, you are praying with another brother concerning a sister, and while you are praying together, you are telling him, look, I'm interested in her. One day you discover he actually went behind your back, he proposed her, she has since even accepted Now, you may be laughing, but I can assure you, that chap ain't laughing. Because the potential 
that that lady that he's in love with will now be with that man that he was praying with for the rest of their lives, despite all his shit, causes real heartache and pain. So clearly, if, if in all of these cases, if it is simply fallen nature, the, the, the result of that is that of hatred. Having nothing to do with such an individual. Why? Have anything to do with somebody who's gossiping about you, slandering your name, dragging your name in the mud. Somebody who doesn't respect your property, your wealth, and instead at the first excuse gets a chunk of it and runs away from you, leaving you in your own debt. Lying and cheating to you. Why be with an individual with whom you open your heart and it takes your heart like an egg, throws it on the ground and runs away with the gale of your dreams. Now these are just three examples I've given. But I'm pretty sure as you are sitting there you know of individuals who claim to be Christians who've hurt you. H-U-R-T. And maybe often as you come in through that door, you first of all look to see whether they are sitting in their usual seat. And if they are sitting in their usual seat, you can sit anywhere after that, except near that place. If they are not sitting in their usual seat, your adrenaline even shoots up because you begin to look. You don't want to end up in the same place. They've hurt you. What's your attitude towards them? What's your attitude? What John is telling us here is that this God kind of love is a love that enables you to ride above mere human nature. Human nature nurses a grudge. Human nature wants to revenge. Human nature wants to hit back. What is it? Nothing to do with this kind of individual. Human nature wants to hate the person back. Grace does something completely different. Grace makes you love your enemies. Love those who hate you, spitefully use you. Verse 10. The verse we skipped in the middle. Verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Let me read that again. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. 
Paddy is talking about here is not the fact that you, you pretend that uh, there's been no slander or gossip about you, or, or you pretend that this individual is, is not running away with your money, or that you pretend that he's not run away with your potential girlfriend. That's not what he's saying. It's not about pretense. It's not even about the fact that you, you overlook that crime, that, look, it's, you know, as far as I've concerned, they're forgiven, forget about it. It's not even that. It is to be like God. Remember what we've been learning. God's love is perfected in you. That which was true of God becomes true of you as well. How does God deal with his enemies? Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 verse 43 to verse 48. Matthew 5, 43-48. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Olives. He says in verse 43, Matthew 5, 43, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's, that's the popular statement that's come across history. You love your, your, your friend or your neighbor, you hate your enemy. After all, he's done you wrong, so you better hate him. Verse 44, but I said to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And notice this. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You are proving that you are sons of your Father in heaven. You are proving that He has saved you. You are proving that you are regenerate. That you are a Christian. You are simply being like Him. How is it? He makes his son rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see, God doesn't choose as to whom he is going to love in this way. He doesn't choose. He doesn't say this one has been slandering my name, has been dragging my name in the mud, has, has, has squandered my wealth as with, with, with prostitutes, has done whatever he has done. Consequently, I'm going to withdraw any form of blessing upon his life. No. He doesn't. He still causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He's still in providence Handles everybody equally. Does it mean he has forgiven the sin of the evil and the unjust? No, he hasn't forgiven them. They are still guilty of sin. And if they die that way, they must go to hell. He hasn't forgiven. But he does not cause that to determine how he relates to them. He doesn't. And so, verse 48, 
Read verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Listen to this. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And tax collectors really were people that were looked down upon because they betrayed their ethnicity. They were Jews who accepted jobs from the Romans in order to get tax from their kinsmen and take it and pay it to the Romans. And often they exacted more than they were entitled to. So the Jews despised them that for the love of money they have sold their birthright. And he's saying, such people, they still love those who love them. Hmm? Scratch my back, I'll scratch yours as well. That's the way they live among themselves. So, what, what makes you so special if you can only rise up to the point where they rise and you cannot rise any further? Surely, then you are not regenerate. You don't have the God kind of love in you. You don't. Verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, and by brothers, I was talking about those who do you good, who bless you. What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Those who do not worship Jehovah, those who are outside His kingdom, they do the same. Then He says, You therefore must be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, be like God. Be like God. Deal with your enemies as if they were your friends. Love them. Love them. Love them. And if you find you cannot do it, as he says here, because of what they've done to you, or done against you, then you are not a child of God. You are still on your way to hell. At the center of your life is still your ego, yourself. You are still a little God, rather than being a son of your Father, God in heaven. So do you find your heart wanting to deal graciously with your enemies? Do you find it to be the case? Do you find that you, you want to bend backwards? You want to, to bless them? And given the opportunity, even at your own sacrifice, you still do so. Is that the case? Well, as I said at the beginning, one of the greatest mistakes you can ever make in life is to think that just because you think you're a Christian, you must be one. Or just because you went through a, a factory-made process of, of becoming a Christian, therefore you must be a Christian. Or to think that the only individuals 
who claim to be Christians, but are not really Christians, are those who are conscious hypocrites. Wolves in sheepskins. They know they are not, but because, you know, they are, they are after some girl in the church and so on, so they try to pretend to be Christian. Those are the only ones who are really non-Christians. But as long as you are sincere, surely you must be a Christian. That's not true. That's not true. There are many people on the judgment day who will be shocked. Shocked out of their socks, if they'll be wearing socks at all. Because messages such as this, they were listening to, but didn't care whatsoever. They didn't care. After all, they still think they're Christians. So why should they even bother search themselves? If that was the case, then First John would not be in our Bible. We might as well get the whole of it out and throw it away. Because it's all about one test after another. That's what it's about. It comes to us saying, you say you are in the light? Well, let's see whether you really are. You claim to be in the light? You claim to be a Christian? Well, here's another test. And the tests are not on a piece of paper with A, B, C, D, multiple choice questions, with the last one being none of the above. It's got nothing to do with that. It's very practical. It's real. It's about interpersonal relationships. All of us are in interpersonal relationships. All of us have individuals who have hurt us. All of us. And John says very well, Let's see, how are you responding to such people? How? Your role is to pause before God. It's to say to God, God, search me. Search me. That individual has hurt me. Left to myself, I know exactly how I would respond. And there are two options. Either you are saying, and that's exactly the way I'm responding. I'm responding in anger, frustration, spite, revenge, get that person out of my life, attitudes. That's me. Well, if that's you, and that's your response, you have to go to Jesus Christ and say to Him, Wash me. Change me. Renew me. Let the God kind of love dwell in me. Until I find a different response. And that's response number two. That I know this person has hurt me. And in my natural state, I would be wanting to have nothing to do with this person, or, or I would hit back. 
But Lord, I'm amazed at myself. I can't believe this. I'm free. I'm free. Their anniversary comes, I want to bless them. Their birthday comes, I want to bless them. They've, they've received a funeral, I want to go there and spend time with them. I, I, I don't understand this. I don't. It's the grace of God. It's the spirit of God. That's what God does to us. It's the God kind of love. It's proof that he has saved you because you are behaving exactly the same way he behaves towards his enemies on earth. What is your response today? What is your response? May God help you to be honest with him and honest with yourself. Amen.